Amen. Go ahead and take your Bibles this evening. We'll be in the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. It's neat. It's neat to see when God works. Um, Pastor picked those songs and, and put those uh, specials together, I, I don't know, maybe a month ago. And I didn't write my message. I didn't know what the Lord wanted me to write till Friday. And I hadn't seen what he had picked. And isn't it cool when God just lines up all those things? You know, we're not talking specifically about a storm, but we are talking about hard times. You know, the book of Lamentations is, is not necessarily a happy book. Um, it's, it's not a book that, um, that brings great joy, that, that, you know, is happy and victorious. It's, it's a song, it's, a, it's a, uh, a book about destruction. It's a book about judgment. It's a book about storms. And uh, we're going to look at that this evening, the book of Lamentations. Um, and so just as by way of introduction, Lamentations is actually a collection of five different poems that we see into the five chapters of the book here. Um, the first four are written in an acrostic style, meaning that uh, each, each verse or each section of ver- verses begin with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters, and if you notice in, in chapters 1 and 2, there's 22 verses. In chapter uh, 3, there's 66 and so there's, there's sets of three. Uh, and then again in chapter four, there's 22 verses. And each one of those sections or each one of those verses begins with uh, a letter in order of the Hebrew alphabet. And that was a literary style. That was a way of, of uh, um, poetic writing, if you want. Um, and so we're going to be looking at chapter three specifically. But as I was studying Lamentations, I came across one author who said it's a, at the simplest of levels, Lamentations explains to us how to deal with disaster. All right, as we begin to look at Lamentations, it's a very raw, a very uh, deeply emotional, a very real response um, from the prophet Jeremiah. In the Jewish religion, they have a day of fasting, uh, and forgive me for the pronunciation here, known as the Tishbava. Um, and it's celebrated on the ninth day of Av which is in the Hebrew calendar. They have different months than we would. Uh, and that varies depending on the, the, the moon and how they, they do their calendar, but between the end of July and the beginning of August in that time frame. And it is the end of a three-week uh, time of remembrance. And they celebrate this day, not really a celebration, but they com- uh, commemorate this day or they observe on this day and they would say that it is the saddest day on the Hebrew calendar. Many sad events would have taken place within a day or two either side of the ninth day of Av. It's the traditional date from Jewish historians uh, for the, 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 the time that the 12 spies returned with a bad report. Of course, they'd gone, they had gone into the land of Canaan, the, the promised land. They came back and said, oh, we can't, we can't do this. We're, we're grasshoppers, they're giants. Um, and God judged them because of their lack of faith. They would also say around, uh, history would say that the first temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar um, beginning on the seventh day and concluding on the tenth day of the, book, of the, the month of, of Av. The second temple uh, was destroyed at the approximately the same time by the Romans in 70 AD. In 135 AD, the Roman Empire uh, uh, viciously crushed a revolt among the Jews and killed over 500,000 civilians in one city. In 1290 AD, the Jews around this time were expelled from England. In 1306, the Jews were expelled from France. In 1492, they were expelled from Spain. 
1914, Germany entered World War I, setting the stage that would ultimately lead to all the upheaval for the Jews in Europe and then ultimately bring about World War II. During World War II, on the ninth day of Av, Heinrich Himmler in 1941 received the, the formal approval to begin what would be called the Final Solution which was the beginning of the Holocaust in which one-third of the, uh, the Jewish population of the world was murdered. All of these events took place around that, that time. Um, and it, it's said that the Jewish have rabbinical writings, okay? Not what we would have in our Bible, but um, just what rabbis have passed down uh, verbally throughout the years. And, and so we don't know if it, we wouldn't say that they're inspired by God, but it, it can add some, some interesting historical uh, information. And the Jews would teach that at this time, when the 12 spies returned, that God spoke to Moses and said, you have cried before me pointlessly, or to the people of Israel, rather. You have cried before me pointlessly. I will fix for you this day as a day of crying for generations. And so whether God said that or not, or whether it's just coincidence, this time specifically is, is a, you know, not a pleasant time in Jewish history. A lot of things have taken place that they, would, uh, that they would grieve, that would bring them sorrow, that would bring them pain. And so they have this, this day of remembrance. And during that day in the synagogue, they would open and they will read the book of Lamentations. It's, it's a way of, of uh, culminating all of these, these sorrowing events in their life. And specifically, Lamentations was, was commemorating or, or grieving that first destruction of the, of the, uh, the first temple. In Jerusalem, and so we would say that Lamentations was is not a pleasant book. It's it's not a joyous book, but I do think there's something very um, impactful for us that we're going to look at tonight. The book of Lamentations is uh, traditionally attributed to the prophet Jeremiah, um, and and whether he wrote it or whether he uh, brought all these poems together. Uh, I think we'll just we'll wait to see what the Lord uh, shows us in heaven. But traditionally, they would say Jeremiah is the penman for this book. But during these poems, or during that, that grieving, after uh, the Babylonians had come and, and captured Jerusalem and, and done all those things, they would read these. And they would be their memorial, or they would be um, a, a time of, of grieving, a sad time. And so that's what the history of this book is. It was written during the time of the Babylonian captivity, uh, in, in 628 BC, in the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah, Jeremiah began his ministry, began a ministry that was not pleasant, that was not a happy ministry. Uh, go, to, go to the book of Jeremiah with me. In Jeremiah 19, we'll read the message that God had given to him uh, for the children of Israel. Jeremiah 19, verse 3. Jeremiah 19, verse 3, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, that uh, the which whosoever heareth, his ears shall tingle, because they have forsaken me, and have estranged this place, and have burned incense in it unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocence. Or that, that's actually, that's a phrase talking about child sacrifice. When Amanda and I, we went to Israel in um, 2012 in there. Um, and they took us to a site where the, as they were excavating, uh, they found an altar. And it's probably 20 feet across, a big circle of stones. 
And as they would dig and as they would excavate, they would find the skeletal remains of infants. They would find those, those things and they would, they would point to a time when in Israel, child sacrifices were taking place. And that was such an such a atrocity, such a thing that God um, was so against. And it was a, a, a custom of the pagan nations that surrounded them that had crept in. They began worshiping these other gods of the people that the other nations that they were around and in turn began doing these children's sacrifices. And so when you see that phrase, had filled the place with the blood of innocence, that's what God was talking about. The, the sacrifice of these babies. Verse five, they have built also the high places of Baal. And then if there is any doubt, to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not nor spake it, neither came into my mind. And that's the message that Jeremiah was given. All right, is, is that a happy message? Is that a message of joy? Is that, is that a message of, you know, hey, I just, I'm gonna wake up this morning and I just love being a prophet. God gave me something really good. No, it, it'd be a very difficult task carrying the weight of that message, going to your countrymen saying, God is going to judge us because of what we are doing. God is going to destroy this place. The, if you hear what God has in store, your ears will tingle. That's how bad of a judgment this would be. In, in 587 BC, that, that judgment began. Uh, Jerusalem was sieged, uh, where they would surround the city and cut off any supplies. And ultimately, it was conquered by the Babylonians. And we'll see that. Go to uh, 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 24. 2 Kings 24, the Bible records that uh, taking place. In verse 1, the Bible says, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him, and the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldees, and bands of the Syrians, and bands of the Moabites, and bands of the children of Ammon, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah, to remove them out of his sight, for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he did. And also, and we'll see this phrase again, for the innocent blood that was shed. You know, God didn't, God didn't just brush that aside. You know, it's not something that God just, just ignored. It was something that he mentions over and over again as, as one of the contributing reasons that he would judge Jerusalem. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. And in 2 Kings 24, verse 10, we find, in the, And at that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem. The city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiakim, the, the, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his uh, mother and his servants and his princes and his officers. And the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign and carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and all the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon the king of Israel had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths, none remained save the poorest sort of the land of the, of the people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon and the king's mother and the king's wives and his officers and the mighty of the land. And those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon and all the men of might, even 7,000 and craftsmen and smiths a thousand, all that were strong and apt for war, 
Even them to the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. And this would be the time that Daniel, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and, and his friends there uh, were taken captive as well. And so we're just setting the stage here for what Jerusalem has experienced. And it, it wasn't a pleasant thing. It wasn't a joyous time in their history. You know, the remaining people in Jerusalem were the poor. You know, the people who, who maybe didn't have many skills. The people who weren't uh, uh, um, men of might, the Bible talks about. And so that's the, the remnant that's left in Jerusalem. All right, they have uh, destroyed the temple. They have taken all the wealth of that city. They have taken all the, the wealth of, 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 of the temple and the worship that they had. And they had taken that to Babylon. And so you lose a bunch of your family, your countrymen, you lose your temple, you lose the sovereignty of your city. Now you're other, under um, the rule of, of uh, this man that Nebuchadnezzar had placed over them. And it, it really was, for them, probably the worst time of their life. Probably the worst thing that they had ever experienced. You know, if you had survived the siege, if you had survived that battle, you are now living in the darkest days of your life. And that's where we find the book of Lamentations. And, and again, I, I'm just trying to set that tone. You know, this is not a happy time. This is not a time of joy and celebration. This is dark. This is sad. This is a time of grieving. And that's where we find Lamentations. And so as we read through chapter 3, we're going to just read through it verse by verse, make a couple comments as we go. But that's the mindset that I want to encourage us to have. Of, of someone that has just endured the wrath of God. That someone who has just endured the judgment of an all-powerful God against their sin, against their idolatry, against their child sacrifice. And so let's begin in Lamentations chapter number 3. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath, all right, we would see and we would, we would kind of make note that this was a personal um, writing, that this was an observation. This was someone who had lived the experience. You know, if Jeremiah is the man writing this, he would say, I am the man. I have been there. I have lived it. I have experienced it. I'm not talking about something that's been passed down to me. I have lived and I have seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He knew that what was happening, what had happened rather, was the very judgment of God. It wasn't random. It wasn't an accident. God had judged his people. Verse 2, he hath led me. And you know, we often quote, we, we love those verses, lead me by the cool waters. You know, he restoreth my soul. That's not what Jeremiah says here. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not light. Surely against me is he turned. Think about that, where you would say that God has turned against you. That God is pouring out, has poured out his wrath. That he led you not into light, but darkness. He's turned against him. He turned his hand against me all the day. My flesh, my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me. Encompassed me with gale, gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places, as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about, that I cannot get out. And anyone, you know, just that idea of being claustrophobic, you know, and being a confined space. 
And that's the picture that I get, that God would hedge him in, and no matter which way he pushed, no matter which way he ran, he could not escape that judgment. He hath made my chain heavy. Talking about captivity, the idea of of being in bondage. Also, when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. He He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people and their songs all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones, and he hath covered me with ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace." I forgot prosperity, and I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord, remembering mine affliction and my my misery, the wormwood and the gall. And I want us just to pause and just let that sink in, that 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 is the response of Jeremiah. That's the response of the people of Israel to the wrath of God, to the judgment of God. To the realization that God had removed his protection. God had removed his his, uh, supply. God had removed his blessing. And now they were receiving wrath. And that's, that's the idea. I just want us to kind of sit on that for a little bit. And I would ask us, you know, as we, we consider this, we are not experiencing that, okay? None of us have gone through an experience that is even close to that. But I think all of us might have these moments that we lament. We might have these experiences that we look back and they just, they make us feel like we're alone. They make us feel like, God, what did I do? God, why are you doing this? You know, and, and you know, there is no, we don't find a rebuke. We just find an honest, just a cry from their heart that this is what they felt and this is what they are experiencing. And as we try and, and apply this in our lives, I would, just, I would just pause and I would ask you just to stop and think, is there a moment when that text would feel and describe the, the feeling of my heart? Is there a day that I experienced where it felt like, God, you just, you're not, I don't, I don't feel you, I don't hear you, or you're not hearing me, I feel, I feel hedged in. All right, And as we try and, and relate with Jeremiah, we try and relate with Israel, I, I love the next, uh, the next part here. In verse number 20, my soul hath them still in remembrance. Jeremiah is saying, look, on one hand, I have all these experiences. All right, I'm not, I, I, it's very fresh. It's very relevant. It's very recent. The, the pain is still sharp. All right. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. All right, Jeremiah, my, my, I'm humbled. I'm, I'm put low. All right, I'm still experiencing um, the, the consequence of that. But I want us to see in verse 21. All right, I want us to see what he can just, just in one verse. This I recall to mind and therefore have I hope. All right, how could you even get close after 20 verses of just dark, 
20 verses of grief, 20 verses of sorrow, 20 verses of uh, just a description of just the worst day of their life. And yet in verse 21, this I recall and I have hope. And that's what I want to finish our, our message with tonight, is that I can have hope even on the darkest day, even on that day of remembrance, thinking about the judgment that they experienced, thinking about the wrath that they had earned, I can still have hope, that you can still have hope. This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. And I don't know how someone could go through that. And right in the middle of it, right, you know, he uses that phrase, my soul still holds them in remembrance, and yet I have hope. What is it that Jeremiah could have hope? Verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Jeremiah still had his life. All right, Israel, while they had been judged, while they had been Uh, taken into captivity, and while they had been all these things against them, they hadn't been annihilated. They hadn't been completely eliminated, right? There was still that remnant. There was still um, those people living, excuse me, in the land. And Jeremiah looks and says, it is of the Lord's mercy that he didn't completely take us out. It's of the Lord's mercy that his wrath went this far and then stopped, that we are not consumed. And then look at the reason why, because his compassion fails not. And it's one of those things that I, I can't understand. And, and we look at it and we see it time over and again in the Bible, where we can see God's wrath, we can see his judgment, we can see his righteousness, and yet it's perfectly balanced with his mercy. It's still perfectly balanced with his compassion. It, they're, they're not at odds. They're not at conflict, you know. And, and we often, you know, sometimes we'll be maybe dealing with a, a conflict in the school or, or something in the church. And we're like, well, you know, do we, do we enforce this rule? Do we come down with, with punishment and consequence? Or do we show grace? Do we show mercy? You know, and honestly, as, as a, at a staff level, we, we discuss that. And we, we toil over what is correct, what is appropriate. And yet when we talk about God, there's never that discussion, There's never that question mark, is God's wrath too far? Is God's judgment too much? All right, is now a time for grace or is now a time for mercy? Is now a time for judgment? And and with God, it's always perfect. It's always righteous. It's always holy. And when Jeremiah looks at it, he says, we are not consumed because God's compassion is still there. God's compassion is will not fail. Even in the middle of our judgment, even in the middle of his, his, our sin and our idol worship and all the rest, God still had compassion. Verse 23, they are new every morning. You know, there's, there's the phrase, the only things constant in life or, or certain in life rather are death and taxes. And uh, we joke about that, but if you also think about it, every morning there's a sunrise. You know, there might be clouds, there might be rain, but every single morning... It, every single day, rather, there's a morning. You know, and if we think about that truth, hey, God's mercy is here. As sure as there is a morning tomorrow, God's compassions will fail not. And that's what Jeremiah, he says, I can have hope. God's mercy, we're not consumed. His compassions fail not. Not only that, they are new every morning. Every day you open your eyes, God is there with compassion. Every day you take that breath, God is there with mercy. And don't you know, we need that. Every day we need his mercy. Every day we need his compassion. 
And the phrase that, that really started this whole uh, study for me is that next one. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, I was, I was um, the high school, we're, we're running uh, for gym class. And so I was running on, on um, whatever day it was, and, and uh, I run with earbuds, and there was a song that came on uh, by a man, by, uh, by a father. And his son had passed away from a drug overdose a couple years ago. And so he had, he had written a song in, in kind of just an honest discussion of what that did to him. Uh, and I want to read you one of the lyrics is, When my world broke into pieces, you were there faithfully. And when I cried out to you, Jesus, you made a way for me. I may never be the same man, but I am a man who still believes that when I cry out to you, Jesus, you are there faithfully. And as I was running and, you know, I'd just been praying, I'm like, God, what do you want me to, to preach? What do you want me to teach? What, you know, and I had a couple different ideas in my head. And, I, and that song came on and it was the first time I'd actually heard it. And it was just bang. God said, that's faithfulness that I am faithful to you, that I am faithful with my mercy, that I'm faithful with my compassion, that I'm faithful um, just in our relationship. And there's time and time again that we are unfaithful. You know, Israel had been unfaithful to God. I thought about teaching this from Hosea. And if you remember the story of Hosea, he was a prophet that God told to go and marry a harlot, a, a prostitute. And it was a picture of God and Israel that time and time again, Israel had been unfaithful to God. That time and time again, and, and it's strong language, but that's what God would use to describe them, that they had gone to harlotry, that they had gone and worshipped other gods, and yet God had remained faithful. Hosea had, had never broken his vows. His wife had, time and time again, but God never is unfaithful. Every morning, Jeremiah had that confidence in God's mercy and God's compassion. And that phrase, great is thy faithfulness, is one that just, just can, is so powerful. You know, the next time that you're, you're feeling in that darkness, you're feeling in that, that, that grief, that sorrow, we sing the song. You know, it's one of the, the um, favorite hymns of, of probably most everyone in here. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, thinking about how good God is to us, even after time, after time, after time that we sin and we, we curse him and we run from him and we, we embrace the world, whatever it might be, God is faithful, always there for us. That word translated into faithful has a literal sense when, it, when it's used in a, there's two ways you can use it, literal and a moral um, uh, usage. And so in the literal sense, it has the idea of firm, steady, secure. And I think that is very applicable to God. When we think about God, our Father, that he's secure, that he's firm, that he's not going anywhere, that we can't chase him off, you know. In a moral sense, it's true, it's faithful, it's steady. And all of these usages are perfect applications for our God. Great is thy faithfulness. And it's contrasted, as I mentioned, with our unfaithfulness. Um, as, as we see with uh, prophet Hosea. Verse number 24, we'll keep reading. The Lord is my portion. How many of you guys know that we need God to be our portion? We need him to be our strength. All right, if your world had just been destroyed, all right, if your, your best friend had just been hauled off to Babylon, your temple had been destroyed, your walls had been torn down, 
you know, just, just destruction and grief. And yet God is still Jeremiah's portion. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. And then we see this phrase again, therefore will I hope in him. Jeremiah concludes that God is his portion. God is his provider. And being a faithful provider would allow him to have hope. Okay, if God was unfaithful, could Jeremiah have had hope? He'd always have that question mark. God, will you be there? God, will you you meet my needs? He had that ability, or he has that confidence. The Lord is my my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Verse 25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. And to the soul that seeketh him, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah understood that there was judgment necessary. All right, that had been his message for 40 plus years. He had said, guys, we will be judged for our sin. God has promised it. God has said that it will come. He understood that better than most. And yet he says it's good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Even on the one hand, he had that message of destruction, but he knew that salvation was also coming. He knew that there would be a restoration. He knew that the the, the walls would eventually be rebuilt, that the temple would be rebuilt. And he had confidence in that. He had trust in that. And it's good for a man both to hope and quietly wait, to be patient on God. You know, we talked about storms. We, we sang a lot about storms tonight. And the, it's going to sound really stupid, but the storm isn't over until it's over, right? And sometimes you just have to wait. And you just have to be patient. And God says, hey, just a little bit longer. We're just, we're just going to ride this out a little bit longer. And it's on God's time, not our time, right? Verse 27 is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. All right, that's just a, that's a truth statement. I mean, older saints, we'll call you that very respectfully, um, wish that some of the lessons that you've learned later in life, you could have told yourself when you were younger. That you wished at 20, at 15, at 10 even, that the truth that you know today, you could have known back then. And Jeremiah tells us it's good for a man to bear the yoke, to, to, to face opposition sometimes, to face chastening. In our our Sunday school class this morning with our teens, we were looking in Proverbs. In Proverbs 3, verse 11, the Bible says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. And I asked them, what's the logical reverse of that statement? If you're not ever experiencing the chastening of God, what's that mean? What's that imply, rather? That you're not his child. That you're not his son. All right, if God is not chastening and not correcting us in our lives, it's, it's a question mark. Either you're perfect, which I'm, you know, apart from Paul, either you're perfect or, uh, or maybe you're not his son, you know? And so the chastening of the Lord is not to be despised. It's not to be something weary of. It's to be something that, that yes, it hurts. Yes, it is not pleasant, but it confirms to us. It shows us that I am his child. That when I can get off track and he corrects me and brings me back on track, it's because he loves me. Because he's my, my, my heavenly father. The church of Laodicea is, is um, one that many people would describe our church age today. And in that letter to that church, the Bible says in Revelation 3.19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. 
You know, and I wonder sometimes, has our church gone through that chastening? Will our church go through that chastening? Not because God gets pleasure from destroying and hurting, but because he wants to appear church, because he loves us, because he wants what's best for us. And so we see that to, to bear the yoke in his youth is to, to learn some of these lessons while we're young, while we're still hopefully choosing to live for him. Verse 28, he sitteth alone and keepeth silence. You know, sometimes it's just, just waiting. God, I'm in this storm. Why aren't you doing something? And God says, just be patient. I'm here. Just be patient. Keep silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust. If so be, there, there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. Verse 31, for the Lord will not cast off forever. It's temporary. If we can learn our lesson, if, if the, the Israelites could learn that lesson, we know through um, just the record of Scripture that they did, that they, they did return to the Lord and that there was a, a remnant that came back. They rebuilt those walls. You know, they began worshiping him again. And so they were not cast off forever. Verse 32, but though he caused grief, Yet he, will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. And verse 32 is so, so key. Though he cause grief, it's a reality. It, it will come. Yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. And so as we close tonight, um, I just, I, I, my goal was to try and get us to feel what Jeremiah was feeling to put ourselves in his shoes, to put ourselves in the shoes of someone that had endured uh, that destruction of Jerusalem. And once we could get to that point of darkness, it makes having that hope so much brighter. And, and you know, the, I forget the phrase, I didn't write it down, but the darker the night, the brighter the light or something like that. You know, and, and the, the more grim and the more dangerous and the more without hope that situation looks, the stronger the hope is, the stronger the truth of God's compassion, the stronger the truth of his mercies, and the stronger the truth that he is faithful. Would you be able to write the same way Jeremiah wrote? In the first 20 verses, I think we could all fill. God, this hurts. God, why did I go through this? It just feels like this. I've experienced this. I'm in that, that point. But would we have the same ability to have hope that Jeremiah had. And that comes from a relationship with him. That comes from trusting him. That comes from, from having that faith in God's faithfulness. Would you be able to say, I have hope? Would you be able to say, because of his mercy, we are not consumed? Would you be able to see, say, his mercy is new every morning? Would you have confidence in his faithfulness? There, there's a song, and we'll close with this, uh, but the Faithman Quartet, they come every year for a rev revival in the spring. And my favorite song that they ever do is God Has Been Faithful. And uh, I remember when I got that CD on my, on my computer, um, if you go into iTunes, you can do a play count. And that has one of the highest play counts in my library. And there's been times in my life where I'll just have that song on repeat as I'm working in the office or, or doing whatever at home, that God has been faithful. And so as for our invitation tonight, I asked the guys just to prepare that video. Um, and I'd, I'd encourage you just to, to think about those storms, perhaps, but to remember God's faithfulness. And as we listen to this song, just, just thank God. Ask God. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you don't have the hope yet. 
Maybe you don't have that trust in his faithfulness. Ask God to give you it. Ask him to bring you that joy. And if you have, then just rejoice in this song uh, and, and let it encourage you tonight.